This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. We aim to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and to entertain you a little along the way. I'm Max Flight. Well, we're getting close to returning to our regular format with the co-hosts and industry guests. This episode, however, we have a conversation that Brian and Micah had with Roger Sands. He's the CEO of Ybot, a company that provides AI-driven Wi-Fi automation for the Wi-Fi industry. Now, the company has a long history of placing Wi-Fi on different transportation modes, including commercial aviation. You'll hear almost everything you want to know about Wi-Fi on airplanes, the challenges, how it works, and more. Here's the conversation. We have with us today Roger Sands, the CEO of Wybot, the nation's leader in Wi-Fi automation. Roger, welcome to the Airplane Geeks podcast. Thank you. It's so good to be on this podcast. Uh, one quick update for you. My team was the first team to put Wi-Fi on aircrafts. We did a partnership with Boeing almost 20 years ago to deploy Wi-Fi on international flights. It was not even allowed in U.S. commercial airplanes at the time. And we did a joint development, my team at Colubris Networks, to put Wi-Fi in the first international airplanes. Well, that leads up to my first question then, because I, I was going to go ask something else, but now I got to know. Oh, I, I wonder if that's going to be the same as my question. So go ahead, ask yours. You can give us a little bit of the history of Wi-Fi on aircraft. How the heck did you do that back in 2003? I mean, we certainly didn't have the same kind of communications that we have now. Tell us a little bit about Wi-Fi on aircraft and how it's developed over the past 20 years. Oh, before you get into that, my question was going to be, if you did this 20 years ago, why is Wi-Fi on aircraft still so terrible today? But I guess that's going to be the conversation that we have. So go ahead and answer Micah's question first. Yeah, Brian, and we'll definitely cover your topic because, as we know, there's plenty of challenges with it for sure. So it's a hot topic and we'll cover it. But, yes, we were working with Connection by yeah. Boeing. It was a program. We worked with Milto. And we they we were leaders at the time. This was Colubris Networks was a Wi-Fi company based here in the Boston, Massachusetts area that focused on Wi-Fi for hospitality industry, which was primarily hotels and motels, etc. But as a result of that, if you think of business travelers, we were the leaders in transportation. So we had it on airplanes, trains, buses. Right. So we were some of the first installations on moving vehicles, if you want to call it that. And so they were looking for this type of service on their international flights. So we're trying to offer at the time international Wi-Fi connectivity. As you can imagine, when you're designing any type of solution that goes into an international aircraft or any aircraft, there's a fair amount of customization required. You can't take a commercial device that you're going to sell into a corporate enterprise and then just put it into a commercial aircraft. So we had to do some custom design on the solution to fit into the power system of the airplane, et cetera. But we did it. We deployed it. And we offered the first Wi-Fi approximately 20 years ago. And Roger, I guess part of the technology in Wi-Fi is it could either be ground-based Wi-Fi or satellite-based Wi-Fi. Since you were doing international, I'm assuming it had to have been satellite-based. Wouldn't it have been easier to start with ground-based Wi-Fi? 
it was satellite based and that was not of course our decision we were the, the provider of the technology the solution into the aircraft but the the you know, connection to the internet Colubris was not involved in that, right? So we provided the technology for the plane, but then there was a partner, this connection by Boeing, that worked on the satellite communication to communicate to the ground. You know, I think about hotels back then. And when I was going to a hotel, staying at a hotel back 20 years ago, and I needed Wi-Fi, I was plugging into the network. I was using my RJ45, plugging in, and and because it was just, Wi-Fi was just so slow. But you yes. brought it to an airplane. Now, an airplane is, it's a Faraday cage when it comes right down to it. They're just sitting inside. How did you get Wi-Fi to flow in a Faraday cage 20 years ago and has it changed now? Yeah, I'm going to take your question and tie it into Brian's first question because it's, it's a fundamental reason why deploying Wi-Fi into planes, especially commercial jets, is very, very challenging, right? So yes, but 20 years later, and I've done a number of international flights just in the past couple of months, I've been on aircrafts where the Wi-Fi didn't work at all, even like to this day, right? And for a lot of us, yeah, a lot of us, it's the on-ramp to the internet and sure, we like to get a little rest and downtime and, and maybe a movie or a good book or something while we're on a flight across the country. But at the same time, you know, I'm the CEO of Wybot. And if I'm traveling during business hours, often there's something, yes, I need to check on or maybe someone needs to send me some information because I'm going to a business meeting. And so having that connectivity is important. Two primary reasons why there's challenges. One, you mentioned it, Faraday cage, right? We're talking about putting Wi-Fi inside an object that has a lot of interference. You got metal walls, you've got seats, you got people, right? And, and humans absorb, right? Because we're primarily water. All the elements in terms of the equipment, the layout, we're packaging lots of individuals. I'm assuming the flight is relatively full. So we're packing lots of individuals into a fairly tight situation that's not optimal for Wi-Fi. So the RF environment, as we call it, is very challenging. Whether it was 20 years ago or today, it's still very challenging because the density of users is similar. The aircrafts, in the macro sense, I know there's been tremendous technology evolution, but are relatively the same size and form factor and density. So the whole environment, when you think of RF, it's designed to be open space, right? Office environments, warehouses where you're transmitting. That's not the environment of an airplane, right? Whether it's small, medium, or large. So the RF environment is challenging. And then the second item, we already touched on it, which was, okay, now you have a Wi-Fi network. The goal in most cases is to communicate to the internet. Sure, a, a number of the planes today will offer entertainment localized, and so you may not have to go off the aircraft, but a lot of the services, you're going into the internet for research or something, and so you need an internet connection. And, and Brian summarized it well, right? We can do satellite or ground to air. Those systems, from a performance point of view, are a lot different than your fiber connection to your work or your home office. And I'm not implying everybody has fiber, but the data rates and the bandwidth that goes into most or a lot of consumers and business today is substantially higher than what you're going to get in a satellite link. So even if you have high quality and you can solve the RF challenges within the aircraft, you still have to be able to have a relatively high performance link to service the number of users to communicate to the Internet. They'll blame, quote, the Wi-Fi on the aircraft. 
But unfortunately, often it's not the physical Wi-Fi in the aircraft that does create challenges, as we've discussed, but it's the performance of the network to the Internet because that's where they're going. We've used some terms that some of our listeners may not be familiar with. I I only just realized that I did it myself. I said Faraday cage, which is basically sort of a metal box, which is what an airplane is, that prevents any electromagnetic signal, a radio wave, to get inside it. That's why it's protected from lightning. It's pretty safe in and of itself. But we also talked about Wi-Fi and we separated it from the Internet, which most people don't really understand that Wi-Fi is a signal that gets to your phone when you're inside the house or the signal that gets to your computer. But that signal is drawing, connecting to the Internet, to the rest of the world. You might have a perfect Wi-Fi signal and have all the bars that you need. But because there's no connection from where that signal is coming from to to the internet, you don't have good internet service. And you can get Wi-Fi on a plane, as a lot of a lot of companies do, a lot of airlines do, where you, you pick up their local movies and you pick up their local channels, but it's not connected to the internet ever. You So you need to have both. And that's what you were describing, the difference. And I just wanted to make sure our listeners were aware of that. That's excellent. And you're absolutely right. And if you think of the user, the consumer of the Wi-Fi, it could be obviously a passenger, Obviously, it could be someone working, you know, uh, a stewardess or steward on the plane working with their tablets and, and, you know, credit card readers, et cetera. From their perspective, their mind is Wi-Fi, right? Meaning I'm connected to the Wi-Fi and I get a Wi-Fi experience. But as you pointed out very well, in most situations, there's two elements to that. There's the Wi-Fi and the Wi-Fi is the ability to transmit data over the air. So your laptop will convert data data packets onto the air to an end device, typically an access point or router, that'll then convert that packet over the air back onto the network. So the Wi-Fi piece is being able to transmit information and data, emails, files, movies, through the airwaves. That's the actual Wi-Fi network and Wi-Fi component. Once you connect to the Wi-Fi and have you can have a reliable Wi-Fi experience on the Wi-Fi component of it, like you said, strong signal, but now you have the internet connection. You still need a connection that connects you to our cloud applications, our services, streaming videos, movies, gaming, emails, and that's another piece of technology. But the users are going to be thinking of Wi-Fi because that's what they use on their laptops and tablets and smartphones when it's an end-to-end system that consists of both the Wi-Fi and technology that allows you to connect to those external cloud services. Right. It's like your air conditioner can be plugged into the wall, but if there's no electricity coming into that outlet, the air conditioner could be perfectly fine, but you're not going to get anything that you want. Exactly. Now, as far as getting the air conditioner to work, for example, the Wi-Fi within the aircraft, the way we solve that problem in our Faraday cages in our homes is we develop a mesh network, right? So we have multiple access points within the environment that enables Wi-Fi to work better throughout either the house or the aircraft in this case. So is that how aircraft are doing it? Do you have multiple access points or do you build a mesh network within the aircraft? Most of the aircrafts, and again, obviously, I'm talking about the traditional commercial aircrafts, right? Because as we can see in the pictures here, we go all the way down to individual. So, so there's a wide variety. But if you take a traditional commercial domestic airline, they would typically have multiple 
multiple access points within an aircraft, not one. They would have multiples, front, center, rear is is fairly common, right? Again, depending on the size of it. Of course, internationally, you have multi-floors and everything, but traditional single single level, you would have multiple access points. Now, in that situation, it is better to connect each one of the access points individually to the internet connection than to do the mesh network. And the reason for that is in your home, you're typically talking about a finite number of end users, meaning finite, meaning a small number, right? Mm -hmm. Two, three, four, five. I mean, well, if you're on an aircraft, sure, not everybody is likely using it at the same time statistically because people are doing other initiatives. But today's technology and today's business traveler, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if a third of the users are on at the same time. And so mesh networks are well suited for home environments where you have a smaller number of users. When you start increasing that, a mesh network actually drops the performance when you start to go through multiple hops, multiple access points. You tend to start to drop performance. So in an aircraft, in general, you'd want to connect the three access points all to the internet so they all have a dedicated pipe and you're not getting that shared technology of a mesh design. So therefore, if I'm having issues with my Wi-Fi connection and I'm sitting in first class, possibly by going back to the rear galley, I could have better service or more reliable connection in the back of the aircraft. That's what you're saying, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So depending if it's the Wi-Fi component, and as we talked about, there's a lot of different components. But yes, if it's the actual Wi-Fi strength, like you heard earlier, the connectivity and strength, then, yeah, if you were in the middle, you could have great connectivity. If you were in the rear or the front or vice versa, it could vary. Now, what about aircraft? We have the A350 and the 787 that are carbon fiber compared to the other commercial aircraft that are really aluminum based. Are there any challenges with the composite materials versus traditional metals? Yeah, so the traditional metals are going to provide more reflection of the signals in terms of coverage across the inside of the aircraft. What I can tell you is when we were developing the systems, it was a fair time ago, but it should be very similar. The Wi-Fi networks will get designed ahead of time, meaning the number you asked about this, Brian, like the number of access points, whether it's a mesh network or a direct connected network. And so those will get tested from a signal strength point of view. It's like doing a site survey within a building. But within an aircraft, right, those get designed to maximize with users on the plane, of course, maximize the signal strength and the coverage independent of what the material is of the seats, the planes, et cetera. So in a plane, it's all aluminum or all metal where there's a lot of internal reflections. That could be a different type of design in terms of number of APs and where they're located if it's in a fiber plane, et cetera, based on materials. But those would get tested out and validated ideally long before you and I get on the plane. Because you can measure all that, right, with deployments, doing betas, doing alphas, betas. We did all this, right? You would measure every location, every seat what the RF coverage is, the reflections, making sure you have sufficient signal coverage. And you could do bandwidth testing to the internet to validate that not only do you have sufficient signal strength, but you're getting acceptable, right? It's not going to be like at home on your fiber streaming, but acceptable performance when you're, you know, up in the air. I own mainman aviation and I'm building a new airplane and it's going to be about 200 feet long and it's going to be a double aisle and it's going to be made of aluminum. 
how do we go about deciding where you're going to put all your your routers or, or, or Wi-Fi devices? How does it start when you're working with Boeing or Airbus or, or whatever it happens to be? Yeah. So as you as you're probably well aware, you know, they have simulations, they have simulated models. And so same thing with Wi-Fi, we can take a Wi-Fi. We know based on the technology that's used in an access point, I call them access points. A lot of consumers and users are calling, you know, they're used to calling them routers or gateways because in the home consumer environment, we have routers and gateways, which are Wi-Fi enabled. So for your audience, we're talking the same thing here. It's access point is the same as a router gateway, meaning from a Wi-Fi perspective, it's converting data onto the airwaves. With the access point designs, we have the RF simulations to show you what that pattern looks like. So now we take that and we take the square footage that you mentioned along with the materials and you can do a simulated RF pattern of what that coverage is going to look like. And then you start there with a simulated model to give you an idea what Brian was asking for based on the size of the plane and materials, how many and where you would ideally like to locate them. Now, ideally in an aircraft may not be possible, right? Because all of a sudden you got one, you know, right up there with a the pilot in the middle of their situation. That's obviously not conducive, right? So, so there's going to be some bounds around it, but RF simulations in those environments is very common. That's step one. And then obviously it would move to that would help you with locations in numbers. And then you would move to your standard alpha beta, where when you have the actual alpha beta aircrafts, you'd have these in there and you'd go back in, like I said, and retest the RF coverage signal strength throughout the whole plane to validate what you had simulated matching what you expected and then make adjustments as necessary. Yeah, and I think one of the challenging points of that is I know specifically with United in their 787s, they used to have the labs in the back of the aircraft. Now they're mid-cabin. So the redesign of a major part of an aircraft absolutely is going to affect the Wi-Fi signal strength. Absolutely. In fact, you mentioned a very good example. We also see, as you know, some of these planes, they're able to adjust the seating patterns. The planes are designed for flexibility, as you probably know. And then, you know, the middle section, you can have more, quote, extended legroom, right, to charge more for that, but to offer more advanced services for the passengers. So just even the seating arrangement, if they have one plane that has them really tightly packed versus others. So, yes, again, with the simulations, though, we're able to get good visibility and we can do the different models to validate the sufficient RF coverage. And remember, in Wi-Fi, there's multiple channels, different channels that can be used. For example, three access points, gateway routers, whatever you want to call them, but three access points in the airplane, they're all on different channels. And so you can have overlapping coverage, but if they're completely on different channels, then they should not interfere with each other. And so if you design the simulation correctly with a little extra overlap, now if you have internal configuration changes, seating and stuff like that, the goal is you still have sufficient coverage. If it's not AP number one in the middle that you're getting access to because of the configuration, but AP number two in the front gives you enough coverage to be able to have access. Brian, does that make sense? It does. And when you're referring to the channels, that's actually the frequency that the data is being broadcast over. That is correct. So we're talking about the RF frequency, similar to like a radio station, right? You have different channels and frequencies. In the Wi-Fi spectrum, you have different channels that you can allocate towards the Wi-Fi communication. And as long as your access points are on different channels, 
then they don't interfere with each other. You have the users, the number of users all using one and potentially could start to overload a single access point if the design was not optimal. But the individual access points are completely different channels and the completely different channels are segmented. And so they're isolated from each other. And that's the reason why cell phones don't interfere with Wi-Fi. And it doesn't matter if it's 4G or 5G because you're using completely different frequencies. Therefore, there's no overlap and no communication issues. So that's a very interesting question because what you said was absolutely true. But I'm going to add one thing to it. You said cell phones don't interfere with Wi-Fi. And it's right because cell phones are using, in majority of cases, licensed spectrum from the carriers, which is a different frequency band. And so they're not going to interfere and you can have cell phones and Wi-Fi and all everybody's happy. The reason why I pause, Brian... We see it all the time, even in airplanes, doesn't matter. End users will turn on hotspots. So that's the ability to take your cell phone, your mobile phone, and enable a wireless access point capability. Now, this is not as common on aircrafts as it is in other market segments like school districts. But in that case, the cell phone causes can cause a lot of disruption on the Wi-Fi because you've just added a whole new, quote, access point. It's a cell phone, but it's acting like an access point on one of those precious channels, likely causing interference onto your network. So there are hesitations and concerns in some market segments with the cell phones, not because of the cellular 3G, 4G, 5G. That does not interfere. But when users get clever and turn on their hotspot capabilities, which a lot of the mobile phones support, that does and can create a lot of Wi-Fi challenges. It leads me to two questions. First one, sure. we were talking about a little bit before. So I have a 787 with standard configuration, but I decide I'm going to make it all economy with 28-inch seat pitch. So it's going to be miserably uncomfortable, but I'm going to double my capacity. Does that mean you need to add more access points? Potentially. Because okay. again, when we do the simulation up front, we're looking at number of users, simultaneous users. And again, it's statistics because not all folks that are traveling are going to use the Wi-Fi, right? I mean, it's just not the case. People are reading, sleeping, eating. But yes, based on number of users and amount of bandwidth, which is a combination of the access point and the internet connection. We talked about that, the speed of the internet. But yes, if you start making major changes to what was originally designed, then yes, it's possible you have to go from one to two or two to three, et cetera, access points. Then the second question was this. It had to do with, with hotspots. Brian and I are flying to the, to the UK together. We're on our United Aircraft. I bought the Wi-Fi and I bought the, the internet, actually. Wi-Fi was always there. I bought the internet access. Brian and I are sitting right next to each other. He's right just across the aisle from me. I turn on my hotspot so he can get the internet too. Can't get it. Somehow or another, it's not allowed. What's going on? Okay, so when you turn on the hotspot, for the hotspot to work reliably, it's got to communicate to something. And what I mean by that is most time when you turn on a hotspot, the back end, the hotspot is a local Wi-Fi connection. So Brian could connect to your phone, but then the phone needs to communicate to something. And the, in most cases, it's communicating to the cellular network. So if I, in my office, turn on my hotspot right now, it allow my laptop and, and other users to connect to my phone as a Wi-Fi device. But then the phone is communicating to the cellular network to be able to communicate and send data and all that. When you're in the aircraft, you're not able to connect to the cellular network. The hotspot is not connecting to the Wi-Fi. It connects to the cellular network. Correct. Gotcha. The hotspot, when you turn on a hotspot on a smartphone, what it's doing is it's turning on, it's simulating an access point. 
is allowing other devices to connect to it. And then, but that needs a internet connection for all those users to have internet connectivity. And so there's no cell phone. So Brian can connect to your hotspot and you're just sitting there and nothing's happening. Gotcha. So Roger, Wibot is is the nation's leader in Wi-Fi automation. What does Wi-Fi automation mean? What are you doing that's unique and, and how does that apply to everything we've just been talking about? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Uh, prior to Wibot, I ran HP's global Wi-Fi business for seven years. Wow. So I was the GM running their global business. We were selling Wi-Fi everywhere, you know, mines, schools, hospitals. And we were working with IT organizations and there was a big pain point in the industry, which was intermittent Wi-Fi problems, just like we're talking about the planes, but it's also common, different challenges, but common across the industry. Manufacturing, warehousing with robots, moving around, losing connectivity. Hospitals, yes, patient monitoring systems so patients can move around the hospital. It helps them recover faster. Those are connected via Wi-Fi. Dialysis machines, learning in in classrooms, e-learning. So Wi-Fi has become the on-ramp to the internet. But unfortunately, just like airplanes, it has a lot of intermittent issues. Intermittent, not all the time, but intermittent. And that makes it very challenging for IT organizations to solve these. So my co-founder and I, we started Wibot and the whole objective was to leverage automation, AI technology. Yes, our favorite subject these days, AI, but AI technology and software to monitor these business critical Wi-Fi networks 24 by 7 and using software to proactively identify what's causing the problems and how to solve them. So what's an example of that in an airplane? How are you helping an airline? Yeah. So in an airline, we'd be talking about what you mentioned earlier, which was what we call airtime utilization, right? So getting profiles on how dense the Wi-Fi network is from a utilization point of view as folks travel across the country. Are they hitting peak levels where, yes, we have to design in a new access point? You know, they go from two to three, for example. And I know, yes, anytime you change anything in an aircraft, it's a big initiative. But if you're offering these services, you need to understand the utilization, connectivity issues. Okay, so you have passengers and staff members that are using the network. Any one of them could have a connectivity issue and and they don't know why. Why? Because they're over the middle of the U.S., up in the sky, and it's when they land that a user complains about it or or a staff member. And so we have all the historical information that analyzes all the user communication 24 by 7 to proactively identify if you have a connectivity issue. Was it coverage, RF signal? Was it interference? You know, was it interoperability? Was the network down, right? All these different, so all that, we've built a system that monitors, analyzes, and optimizes these networks for enterprise customers all over the globe. Okay, so for example, I just flew back from Chicago to Los Angeles. I'll say the internet worked for the first more or less 10 minutes of the flight. Then it became spotty. They rebooted the system, which of course, that's what you're going to do to solve the problem is reboot the system. And then... I didn't have internet access for the rest of my flight. Your software is going to be able to log all of this, analyze it, and then let the airline know where the problem was. If the problem was with my end user device, if it was with an access point, if it was the connection to the internet, if it was a ground-based issue, am I understanding this, that that's where your software steps in? You summarize it very well, absolutely. And to make it even more complicated, Brian was getting free Wi-Fi internet because he's a T-Mobile user. 
and T-Mobile is offering free service on, yes. on aircraft that are equipped with it. So that complicates it, I think, even more. Would it have been different for someone who was paying for their internet connection than what Brian was getting for free? So I just want to throw that in and put another mon monkey wrench in it. The good news is we've thought about that and all that we can validate. And here's how. Not only are we doing Wi-Fi automation, meaning monitoring all the client connectivity, understanding what's happening in the aircraft or wherever the solution is, we also have the ability to do quality testing on the network, scheduled. So as you travel across the country, our system is testing constantly the Wi-Fi network, the internet, all the way down to ground. And so we're testing each access point. And to answer your question around T-Mobile, we have the ability to test each Wi-Fi service. When I say service, we're talking T-Mobile is one service. We're talking paid is another service. Each one of those, we can do quality assurance testing on. And so we would know which services are working and which ones aren't. And when something isn't working, where in that food chain that Brian talked about, from the client device all the way down to the ground, where that connection or performance issue is. But the thing is, right now, are you able to proactively fix any of these issues that you might be able to determine have occurred? So we could, we don't. And that's going to sound odd. When we built the company, the objective was self-healing networks where we could make those changes. What we have found, which we didn't surprise us, but we validated it, that most, I'm going to use the term enterprise customers in a loose sense, but most enterprise customers, they have maintenance windows maintenance windows of when changes take effect on the network. And so as powerful as it would be for Ybot to make a change in real time, if it's outside their maintenance window, they'd rather get notified and they make the decision. So they would, Brian, get notified immediately, meaning we would send a notification from the aircraft down to an operating, a knock, you know, network operating mm -hmm. center or whatever, when there was an issue in the plane. So they would have visibility depending on their ability to make remote changes in real time or not would be up to them. But we they would have visibility as you're flying across the country if there was any issues. Right. So right now, the only solution for me is to talk to the flight attendant, have them reboot the system and hope that that solves the problem. Correct. Which, as you saw, it's a random thing. It's not ideal. That's not what you want. That's not the right solution. But that's all they have to work with. When you go to the, you know, one of the employees and they don't understand the complexities, obviously, of Wi-Fi, nor should they. And so they're instructed, OK, if, if there's enough people complaining and it's consistent, just reboot the system and hope and pray. That's all they do. And then when they land, it's when they land that they start trying to collect data if they can to learn more about the system. We have all the historical data through the whole journey and real-time alerts. They would have real-time alerts and we'd have all the logs so they could see right all the timestamps you mentioned halfway through the flight. They could see exactly what happened. Yeah, and I think that that could also help them. It could possibly help them for compensation to customers because if Correct. you could prove that it's an endpoint device, the customer's device that's an issue, they might not give compensation for that. They probably won't make the customer feel any better because the customer, of course, thinks that their product's always perfect. But that's a different story. No, there's a lot they could do with it. I mean, yes, compensation is, is very important, and that would be one good one. Also, robustness of the systems, right? It's going to allow them to collect telemetry data, the analytical data, 
Think about it of all the planes across the country that are flying every single day so that, yes, we can continue to tune and improve the quality of that experience, right? Because you learn from it, right? Whether it's certain devices on the plane, whether the coverage is still not optimal, having all that telemetry data so you can keep tuning over months and years to the point where it's even more reliable than it is now. That brings me to or back to one of my original, I guess, statements. There are two ways that aircraft connect to the Internet. One is through satellite system. The other is a ground-based antenna system. In your opinion, which is better? Which would you prefer working with? What's the future of these technologies? Where do you think it'll be in 10 years from now to provide better, faster, more reliable Internet access to people in the sky? I think we discussed this um, offline earlier, which is, the ground-based systems can work well if you have a ground-based system below you. If you're traveling over the ocean or potentially large enough bodies of water, big bodies of water, of course, or depending on just the coverage, you know, in certain areas of the country, it's going to be spotty if you don't have the technology everywhere. Where satellites, we have the technology. So satellites, you have the coverage where you shouldn't, in theory, lose connectivity, but the aggregate performance, depending on what technology you're using, how much you want to pay for it, could be less than air to ground, right? So one, you have a benefit of performance, but you could, depending on where the flight pattern is, have areas where you have spotty coverage, which then you could have good coverage and good performance in some areas, but it drops out completely. So it's really this pros and cons. I think the technology was both of those I mean, it's going to increase. Over, you asked what's going to happen. Satellite technology is changing in terms of performance, bandwidth, just newer technologies. And so the number of passengers in a specific plane is not changing substantially, right? I'm not talking about right. the multi-deckers. I'm talking about the traditional air transport. So the number of passengers aren't changing. The number of users and passengers that are using it, of course, is going up over time. But if we can improve the performance of either the satellite or air to ground, which we are from a technology point of view, and if we can pass the average bandwidth for the number of users, then the internet connectivity should be at a point where that's not the bottleneck anymore. You know, there are a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. I am not one of them, but there's been all sorts of discussion about aircraft Wi-Fi and being able to hack into the airplane and control it and all that. To me, it sounds like a bunch of hogwash. But can you reassure our listeners about that one way or the other? The Wi-Fi networks or the networks are not tied into the communication panels and technology of the aircraft, right? They should be completely isolated. We call them firewalls. And so there's two different networks. The ones that I've worked with and familiar with, they're completely separate. So the passenger network is going to be isolated from the control, pilot, whatever they're using, et cetera, network. And those should not cross paths. And so there's not a way to seamlessly get between them. That's what I thought. I, I think, like I said, I've always believed that they're two different things. And it's just the crazy conspiracy people that will tell you other things, too, that we won't get into on here. As far as the technology goes of corporate jets versus commercial jets, I'm assuming it's really the same technology, just scaled down smaller size for... It is. In fact, when we were working on the connection by Boeing and then over time, we we're actually working with uh, some private jets, et cetera. S same technology. The good news about Wi-Fi and one of the reasons why it's so pervasive, not just in aircrafts, but trains and hotels, as you heard earlier, is that there's an industry standard. A lot of effort went into it. There's an IEEE standard. And all manufacturers of IoT, smartphones, equipment, APs, they're supposed to follow that standard. 
whether you put access points in an aircraft, whether you put them in a private consumer jet, whether you put them in your home, the fundamental technology is the same. Obviously, different packaging and power requirements for aircrafts than you have in an office space, but the Wi-Fi protocol and the Wi-Fi technology is the same, yes. In terms of Wi-Fi standards, uh, there's been Wi-Fi 5, there's Wi-Fi 6 and 6E. We're moving toward Wi-Fi 7. Is the same thing happening on aircraft? The technology on the aircraft is not going to move as fast. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, just the time it takes to implement. I mean, you have to design these systems. As you know, a new aircraft, you have to design them. You're not just taking technology and swapping it out. Like the power systems, everything is different. So it's going to take time, number one. Number two is some of these new technologies, like Wi-Fi 6E, that's a whole new frequency band, brand new frequency band in the 6 gigahertz spectrum. So again, you're not just swapping out access points from today to tomorrow, because as I mentioned earlier, you have to do a simulation. And the 6 gigahertz patterns are going to be different than the current technologies. So yes, the standards are moving every couple, three years. There's typically a new standard. Wi-Fi 5 is pervasive. And as Brian mentioned, Wi-Fi 6 is in the corporate world is very common now. 6E is just getting started. We see very few customers today because there's very few clients that support 6E. That's a new frequency band of 6 gigahertz. And so if you have no clients, you're not going to get any benefit from the access point. So the 6E technology is out there, but it's slow adoption, which is very common for new technologies until the client-based smartphones, tablets, laptops are supporting it, then there's going to be a push. So A, it takes time in the aviation industry because of the somewhat unique complexities of deploying access points for aircraft. And then B, the technology's got to take time to get to the point where it makes sense because some of these new technologies may not even be needed for aircraft. That may sound a little strange, but we're talking higher density deployments like stadiums where you have 30,000 people, right? And again, the aircraft is kind of fixed at, you know, 100, 200 or whatever the number is, right, for an average aircraft. So a well-designed Wi-Fi 6 network with three access points, give or take, should be able to support that network for a while. Even though some of the clients will eventually have new technology, your limiting factor is typically the internet connection that we talked about with satellite or ground air, not the APs on the plane. And that's where I think the Wi-Fi speeds of the previous standards, 5 and 6, are certainly good enough because the speed from the ground or satellite to the aircraft, that's really the limiting factor. So as long as all future standards for 6E, 7, 8 are backward compatible, I don't think there's going to be an issue here because certainly the speeds of 5 and 6 are more than adequate to support the users on an aircraft. Yeah, there's one, and, I, and everything you said was, was true. One additional point that's starting to change that is local content. So some of these aircrafts now, you know, they're trying to provide, they don't want to put TVs on the planes because of cost and cabling and all that. And some aircraft sell off of the TVs, right, for entertainment. They're all trying to get you best entertainment when you're traveling. And so the ones that have libraries of videos and movies and stuff like that, now, if you have a large contingent of users that are streaming their favorite movies, that will put a demand on the local Wi-Fi network without having to go to the Internet. 
And that's what I mentioned earlier when you asked about Widebot is that one thing that's critically important in any Wi-Fi network is to constantly monitor the airtime utilization, which is the congestion, the density of traffic over the air. And so if you had those metrics, you would be able to see passenger trends over time to answer your question on when does it make sense, if ever, to upgrade the technology to new standards. Yeah, great point. Roger, we talked about security with the aircraft itself in terms of hacking in and taking over the aircraft. But when you use Wi-Fi in general, there could be some security issues between you and any other user. Can you talk a little bit about how you keep your network secure? That's an excellent question. And most Wi-Fi that's in public venues like aircrafts and airports and fast food restaurants, most of it, a lot of it is open security, meaning there's no Wi-Fi security. And they do that for simplicity, ease of use. They want it to be seamless for the users. So what's critically important there, right, is to ensure that what you're using, if you're just streaming a video from the local servers, no big deal. But if you're using anything where you're sharing password and credentials, you want to be cognizant of that because the traffic over the air could be in the clear. And so if you're going to websites for any type of services, a lot of most of the websites now are HTTPS, which is secure communication end to end. And so, yes, the traffic over the air from a Wi-Fi protocol is not encrypted, but your overall end to end packet is encrypted. And so you don't have an issue. But there's websites that don't use HTTPS today. And so it's just in general, it's not just aircraft. It's best to be very careful and cognizant of any time you're using personal information, passwords, social security number, if you're on a plane, like there's a possibility, depending on where you're connected, et cetera, that yes, a clever user could be able to pull that information and take advantage of it. Would using a VPN help with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So a VPN end-to-end -end is very you know similar concept to an HTTPS service in a cloud where you have a secure end-to-end -end connection. So VPN is very good because everything coming off your end user device, like a laptop to wherever you're headed, typically your corporate office is going to be encrypted. Yes. So basically what Wi-Fi users need to remember is that Wi-Fi is pretty much like a postcard. Anybody that wants to read it can read it. It's not like a letter where you actually have to open the envelope. You're sending data over the airwaves. So the whole objective there is how well it's encrypted. You're sending anything over you know, that goes over the air. It's got to go from your laptop, tablet, smartphone. It's got to go from there to wherever it's headed, the internet, your spouse, you know, your family member. And, and that's what's important to remember that when you're in the corporate world, most corporations have tight security over the Wi-Fi. And so that risk is minimized. In the public world, you can use VPNs, you can use HTTPS websites, and you're very well protected. And banking information is, they're all using HTTPS, right, for online banking, et cetera. But there's still plenty of sites or you're just, whatever you're sharing information, you just want to be cognizant of that. So it sounds like Wibot is really involved in everything there is to do with Wi-Fi. We're the global leader in this Wi-Fi automation and we're helping IT organizations all over the globe from cruise ships. Yes, cruise ships in Ireland going over satellite links all the way to hospitals, financial institutions, school districts all over the country. So yeah, anywhere we can help around this automation piece, that's what we do. And we'd love to work with customers on that. Roger, thank you so much for joining us here on the Airplane Geeks. It was a pleasure um, to meet both of you folks. It's an exciting area, challenging area, but as, a, as an organization and as a community, 
you know, we're all um, invested and committed to um, helping this type of service for, you know, for passengers all over the globe. Hey, and I'm looking forward to the service, the quality of service increasing over time so I could actually get some value out of my airplane Wi-Fi connections. Sounds good, Brian. Roger, thank you so much. It was great. Take care. It was a pleasure to meet you. It's a great conversation. Um, it's exciting. It's different. And I, I liked it. It's nice to meet you. Thank you very much. Glad you liked it. Thank you. Thanks to Brian and Micah for capturing that conversation. Our website is airplanegeeks.com. Our email address is thegeeks at airplanegeeks.com. And of course, you can find more information about our guest and YBOT on our website in the show notes. You can go there directly by visiting airplanegeeks.com slash 761. So please join us again next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody.